He's working. And the scripture that comes to my mind is we walk by faith, not by sight. There's a reason that was written in the scripture, because our tendency is to what? Walk by sight, not by faith. And we're reminded, walk by faith, not by sight. And the truth is this morning, that even when you don't think or don't feel like God is working in your life, He is. He is. Even when you don't think or feel like He's working in the world around you, He is. He is still on the throne he is still sovereign God. He's still at work. He has a plan. It is going to be fulfilled. It is going to be, it already is established. It's a done deal. It will work out exactly the way he had it planned. And we need to rest in it. And that requires us to have faith, to walk in that. The other thing, we talk about that. There's an awful lot of statements in that last song that we sang. And, and, and Jay did well of leading us into that, of the idea that his presence is here this morning to do lots more than you think. You came with one idea in mind, maybe, or one thought in mind, and maybe you were opening, anticipating, maybe you weren't. But God's presence is here, and His intention is to do something dramatic and life-changing in each and every one of us. The question is, are we in tune to that? Are we welcoming that? Same thing with church all across the board. We put all kinds of stuff out there to do, to come to, to be ministered to. The question is, are we in tune to what God is trying to do in us? Paul wrote, he says, he wrote, I didn't come to you with fancy words or great arguments. I came in the power of the gospel. In the miraculous power of the gospel that changed lives. And I stand before you today, I'm not good enough to stand before you with a message that's going to convince you of anything. I do my best at that. But I stand before you today with a power that stands behind that message to change lives, to lead you into understanding. The Holy Spirit's work as he's around us this morning and dwelling in us is to lead us into understanding and then give us the courage, the strength, and the enablement to walk things out, to make choices, to change, to be different, to live victoriously, to have victory in all areas of our lives. And the question is, not so much is he able, are we willing to open up and yield to him? The problem is never on his end. There's never a shortfall. There's never, there's never not enough. There's always more than enough. The question is, am I opening my being and letting my mental stuff go long enough to engage in what he's doing and what he's enabling us to do? And I pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit would come now and open our minds to understanding, open our hearts to take things in, and those seeds would bear fruit. So we are going to learn to, live, to talk about live, learning, living like our Father this morning. Um, and actually, we've been looking at this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're at not the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but just a section of it. And we've gone through, in these last several weeks, six different examples of, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And if you've been with us, if you haven't, you can listen to those messages. But what Jesus was doing is warning those people that were listening that day, but it's also a warning that's just as real today as it was then, warning us not to merely follow the letter of the law when we read the Scriptures. Not just to follow the letter, the, the, the literal stuff that's all in there. Not just checking boxes, but seeking to understand what the heart, what the intention of that law is, what God is really after, and then get into that and apply that in our lives. This has been a tough teaching. There's been some really tough messages in the midst of this. Um, in every one of these messages, Jesus is 
got a big ask, if you will, or a big command of what he's asking and telling his followers to do. All right? Remember, it's all these things. It's been tough and it's been a big ask. That's an understatement. It's not just about not murdering, but it's not even speaking to others with ill intent or speaking about them to ill intent or even thinking about them with ill intent. And it's not just committing the physical act of adultery, but we're not even to look at someone else lustfully. We have seen in these messages, we've talked about the fact that God hates divorce, but we also looked at the fact, but it's not that he doesn't hate divorcees, he just hates divorce and all that goes along with that. And it comes then, and it's meant to be, drive us back to the idea of the importance of seeking what we can do in our marriages and our relationships to walk those out effectively. We have seen that our yes should be yes and our no, no. And we shouldn't have to swear that we're telling the truth. We have seen that we're not to return evil for evil. When somebody does the bad thing to me that I return and like, but we're to do, to, we're to do good to those that mistreat us and misuse us. And we have seen last week that we're not to, that it's not about um, um, uh, hating our enemies and loving those that do good to us. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for them and seek good for them. And we've wrestled in these messages with the impossibility in our human strength and ability to do what Jesus said. If you haven't, you haven't really heard anything. Because when you hear what Jesus was saying and you get to the heart of the law, not the, not the letter of the law, but the heart of the law, uh, the impossibility of that. And it's pointed us, we've talked about it, it hasn't left us in a vacuum, it's pointed us to what? The power outside of ourself, which is the power of God, which actually it's not even a power outside of ourself, because when we come to Christ, that power lives where? Right inside of us. But we need to recognize it's not ours that our humanity is not going to be able to do this. That power is found in God's presence and the indwelling work of His Holy Spirit. And now we get in this section to the capstone. To the capstone. It's actually at the very end of the passage that we looked last week, which I didn't necessarily read the whole thing. But the capstone of this section, of these six examples of what Jesus says, but in some ways we can test out there potentially maybe the capstone of the big statement that's in the whole Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Jesus says this, if you follow the letter of the law, what's so great in that? If you just follow the letter of the law, what's so big about that? What's so great about that? And I say with some sarcasm because I have a feeling that's kind of the way he said it. You don't murder. You don't commit adultery. You legally get a divorce. You keep your oaths and promises. You retaliate in kind to those that have wronged you. And you love those that love you but, but hate those that hate you. And Jesus would say, you follow the letter of the law, but what's the big deal in that? You know what he says? If you love those that love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? What's so great about doing the minimum of the letter of the law. That's the heart of this whole message. What's the big deal? What's so great about that? He's actually saying is, don't expect any reward, or don't expect, let's put that in our modern language right now, and that we like to use here at this church, don't expect a well done, thou good and faithful servant, for doing the minimum requirements 
requirements of the letter of the law. All those things you have heard it said when you walk out just that first part, don't expect him to greet you in heaven if that's all you've ever done, is follow those parts of it with a well-done, good and faithful servant because it's not going to happen. Anyone can do those things. Anybody can do those things. Sinners can do it because it's in their human nature to do all those things. People who deny Jesus as Savior. In other words, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They say no. They can do it too because it's in their human nature to be able to do those things. People who even deny that God even exists call themselves an atheist. They can do it too because it's in their human nature to do those bare minimums. Even people who not only claim they're atheists but aggressively attack the truth of God, um, aggressively attack his ways, and aggressively attack his people can do these things because it's part of their human nature. The, the loud and clear message that, that Jesus gives here is God is calling us to much, much more than to follow the mere letter of the law. And in the last six messages that we've had, or yeah, six of them, we've had six examples. But it's not the only ones that could be given. It's just the six that Jesus chose that day. He's saying there's a lot more that I'm calling to you to than just the mere letter of the law what he says here. This is what he ends the section with. doesn't end the Sermon on the Mount because he continues on, but he says this statement to wrap this all up. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that therefore is what? Therefore, going back to all the stuff I've said, because of what I've said, I'm telling you, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. And then if you look at, if you look at Luke's rendition, he says, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Let's take a look at perfection for a second. When the word perfection, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect, or be perfect as He is perfect, immediately you have a connotation of what perfection is. Okay, and that's okay. That's just the, way the, that's the word that's used. But scratching the surface a little bit and going a little deeper into this and looking at the language that Jesus used and the, the, the nuances and the meaning in the word, let me give you this. Perfection is being, it's going to surprise you a little bit. It does fit. I know what you're thinking. Perfect is never making a mistake. The problem with that is, are you capable of that? Nope. Am I capable of that? Nope. Can't do it. And it's not that that's not part of what's in there, but let's, let's break it apart now. Perfection. It's finished. It's achieved, something that's achieved or reached the goal, objective, or purpose by which it was set forth or designed by. So being perfect is having achieved and reached the goal, objective, or purpose that you were made for. Being complete, being proficient, being full-grown, being mature. Hopefully by now you're seeing it's a little different nuance than maybe you were thought when you first read it or heard it not lacking any deficiencies or shortcomings when you're measured up against a certain standard. In other words, when a certain standard is put in front of you, you're shown with no deficiencies and no shortcomings. Actually, it says specifically about this part, this, this, the word's used in other spots, perfection is used in other spots in the New Testament, but in this spot specifically, it says it doesn't mean in this spot being sinless. Because if it means being sinless, we are automatically excluded. 
And Jesus wouldn't ask us to do something that we can't do. Some of you might say, but I am sinless because the blood of Christ has covered that. I'll give you that. That's true. Jesus, when God looks at me and looks at you, if we've asked Christ to be in our heart, he doesn't see all the junk. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ, the sinless nature of him. But there's a bigger thing in this idea of perfection, which is no deficiencies, fulfilling what God has called you to do, your purpose and all those things. What's that standard? What's the standard that we're measured against? God's purity, God's love, and God's attitude towards others. Isn't it interesting? We've talked all the way through. We've even used examples at different times of people who actually did walk out what Jesus said. We gave, I gave last week about loving your enemies. Remember that? We talked about Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. Stephen, Father, don't hold this against them because they don't know what they're doing. And then that guy, Dirk Willems, remember, who rescued his captor out of the frozen lake and ended up being recaptured and burned at the stake. Okay? How about being merciful? Merciful. Being merciful. It's action taken out of compassion and pity which one undertakes to alleviate the misery and the relief of the suffering of those around us. Mercy is action. It's not a thought. It's an action that comes from compassion and pity when you look at a person and see the misery and their suffering and you, you move to relieve that. It's an act which attempts to address compassionately the plight and wretchedness of others. That doesn't sound like a great thing to say, does it? The wretchedness of others? But it's true. It's okay to say that when you recognize it's true about you and me. Before God, my wretched state is pretty hopeless. But the idea of mercy is to act to help that person, that state, the plight, where they're at. And the standard here, what's the standard of mercy? The mercy of God. The mercy that God had towards who? Those that were against him. Evidenced by what? Jesus' death on the cross, which we have talked about at different times. While we were yet sinners last week, while we were his enemy, Jesus comes to earth and dies on the cross for us. That's mercy. Why did he do that? Because he saw the wretchedness of mankind, and he saw the plight, and the, the bad situation they were in, and all the stuff that went with sin, and so Jesus comes to die so sin could be defeated, so there could be victory in those areas, and we wouldn't have to walk in that wretched state and be subject to the plight that was before that. Actually, when, it's, when Jesus said, be perfect as your Father is perfect, be merciful like God is merciful, he's giving what God's call is on his people. This is God's call, that perfection, that mercy. This is God's call, this is God's purpose, this is God's plan for each person that comes to Christ that makes the decision to walk with God in relationship. We can boil it down to that. You don't, what's my call? Am I going to be a preacher? Am I going to be a prophet? Am I going to go to work and evangelize there and raising my children and all that other stuff call-wise that's specific to us? Boil it right down to this. If you want to know what God's plan, God's purpose, God's call is on your life to be perfect like your Father is perfect and be merciful like He's mercy, merciful. And I'll tell you, if we learn to walk that out before God, it will lead us directly into all that other stuff. We get caught up sometime 
The enemy actually will come at us sometimes trying to get us to think so specific that we never really engage because we don't know what my call is. Well, this is that general overarching thing, like Jesus said, be perfect and be merciful. We learned also, going in that, in this section that we talked about before we got to the if you've said, you've heard it said, now I say unto you, you've also heard him say that he was talked about what? We had a message on what? Being salt and light. God's plan, God's purpose. He, he called us to be salt. He called us to be light. By being salty, remember what it is? Living differently, by being different. And then by being different, it opens up opportunities for us to engage with people, to shine light on the situation they're in, to give them light about why it's happening, and give them light as to how to get out of it. And I'm not talking about their investments and other things. I'm talking about their spiritual dilemmas, the hurt in their heart, the the things that need healing, the spiritual death that needs light brought to it and life brought to it. We're called to be different for the sake of being able to get into the lives of people so that we can give them the answers they desperately need. We're called to be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. And that's if, if we are, if we actually walk out being a son of God or a daughter of God, we will live the way that Jesus gave us the examples in there. Because that's the standard that has been placed for all sons and daughters. To be like our father and to be like our brother, Jesus Christ. You say, brother, is that fair to call Jesus that? He was the what? The firstborn of all that would come after him that would be born again. He's our Lord and Savior but, and you'll, get, you'll see there's another aspect of Jesus, this brotherhood thing, not to diminish his greatness that he's so far above us, but there's something else which we'll get, through in, get to in a minute here. Now, how about the impossibility? May, that's probably the first thing you had. Oh, great. Be perfect like God's perfect. Be merciful like my Father. And you're immediately, ugh, here we go again. How am I going to do this? I can't. Is it impossible? Humanly, absolutely impossible. But, remember last week, with God, all things are possible. This message of Jesus that he's been giving almost every week for a while now has been, it knocks us down, but it also builds us up. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God's truth. It knocks us down and puts us in our place and then builds us back up again. Look at this. Look at what Simeon said. You remember Simeon, that guy in the Christmas story, or not the Christmas? You sometimes read her at Christmas time because right in Luca, that whole thing's happening. When Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, or to the the temple, whatever, to the place of worship, if you will, takes him there to dedicate him. And this old man Simeon, very old, who's been waiting, God has promised him, you will see the coming of Messiah. You will see the salvation come. And when Jesus is brought that day, he sees him and says, that's him. And look what he says. This is something he says. Then Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I always read that scripture and think of all these things that Jesus is physical person and what he did on the cross and all that stuff there. But in my readings this week, 
I can't take credit for this. I've been looking at a book that actually has an awful lot of stuff about the Sermon on the Mount, and they bring out this, this amazing thing. And I love it. Because, the reason it rings true with me, because it pulls in other areas of Scripture that are speaking the same language. Okay? Let me ask you these questions. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Though. Don't the teachings of Jesus cause you and I, when we hear them, to fall and rise? This, 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 the life of this guy is going to cause many to rise and fall, or fall and rise, however you want to put that. The rising and falling of many. Doesn't that teaching, if you think back of love your enemies and all that went in there and, 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 and just you think about the last few weeks, doesn't it cause us to fall and arise? All in the same message. Falling in that we realize that we fall very short in doing any of the things that Jesus said. Falling in that we realize that we'll never be able to do it on our own strength. And it's meant to do that. It's not meant to make us feel good. It's not meant to stroke our ego and say, you're okay. It's actually meant to do exactly what we felt, which is to lay us bare before God, saying, I, that's impossible. I am incapable. Yet, it also causes us to rise in the hope of this, that God would never ask us to do something that he would not enable us and empower us to be able to do. And causing us to rise when we recognize that that's the call he put on us to do that, to live and to love and to act the way with mercy that he's given us. It's this super high call, and you know it's not, it's, it's only, the calling is only for those that come to him to walk that way. There's a super high call, and the fact that he's, he's enabled us to do so. So it knocks us down, but then it says, I can't do it. But with God's help, I can walk this out. And then we're challenged to go out and do that. How about these things? Jesus' teachings also are spoken against. By who? By those that think that these statements, Jesus' teaching, are cold and calloused or that they're out of touch with reality. I'm using stuff that people would say. That's cold. That's mean. That's not inclusive. That's not all these things there. Or that it's, like, uh, it's, it's out of touch with reality. And, and you could read that. If you just took that be perfect as God is perfect, you'd say that's totally out of touch with reality if that's all you take. But if you walk with God and understand all the things that are in Scripture about these things there, it, they're spoken against, but that's when you don't understand all the things that go with them. It's also spoken against by some of us who are his followers that get stuck in the impossibility of failing to look to God for the enabling power he gives. You could hear these messages and never get past the fact that I can't do it. A lot of times our enemy keeps us knocked down, beat up, banged up, trying to keep us in a prison with low self-value. And when you read the first beginnings of what Jesus says, you immediately say, yep, it just proves what I already know. I'm a failure. Spoken against. Not just by people who don't believe it, but even people who believe the Bible, we still can get stuck in speaking against it. Well, I would never say that out loud, but you think it in heart. And we act that way. All right? How about this? The teachings of Jesus also reveal the hearts of many. It reveals our innate desire. These things that Jesus has been talking about, our innate desire to only do the minimum. We have an innate desire as human beings to only do the minimum. Every teacher that's ever sat in a classroom knows that that's true. Unless you have kindergartners in first grade. Oh, teacher, teacher, can I write? You, you said you need a sentence. Can I write a paragraph? Or can I write a story? And you say, go for it. 
But that only lasts till around middle school. And then all of a sudden, how many words does the sentence have to have? Or how, how, many, how many words in the paragraph? How many words in the essay? How many pages? Because our innate desire as humans is only do the bare minimum to get away, get along with. And so it's not surprising that that's where the Pharisees and where everybody's been at, and to recognize that you and I have that same danger of doing the bare minimum of whatever God asks to make sure that we're okay, to check boxes, to reduce walking with God to checking boxes of rights and wrongs and keeping score. That's humanity 101, our innate desire. And the things that Jesus has been teaching reveal those things in our hearts. It also reveals in us our resistance to wrestling with God, to understand the heart that he's looking for and desiring in us. Do you realize that many, 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 many times, I realize that, I, I tell you this sometimes as, as, as I'm preaching, I'm not going to tie this up with a nice little bowl because there isn't a, that, would, that actually would be wrong. You expound on the word before people, you try to explain what it means, and even look at applications. But in the end, each person has to take that information, has to let it be assimilated into their being and make the choice to walk it out. We have a resistance to wrestling with God on our own to understand His heart and what He's looking for and desiring. We want somebody to tell us the easy track, the quick answer. Give me an answer. And I'm sorry, there's nobody that can do that for certain parts of your life. We can give principles as leaders, as speakers, as shepherds, as mentors, as whatever else. We can give principles. We can give ideas. Sometimes we can even say, I think that maybe God is leading you in this way. But in the end, you have to wrestle with God yourself. There is no other way. You wonder sometimes how people get the wisdom they had because they've sat before God and consulted with him privately, personally, and then put into practice what God's showing them as testing back and forth. And it's an ongoing process that we spend a lifetime doing. God's call on our lives. Let's look at him again. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. These two things are actions. Be perfect. Actions. Be merciful. Actions. But it's part of the, the perfection, being complete, without deficiencies, meeting the standard, doing what you were made to do, all that stuff that goes in the word perfection, merciful, um, taking action because you have God's compassion in your heart to help people in the plight, the wretched state that they're in, whatever that happens to be. Those are all actions, but they're part of a bigger purpose. We should be able to find other scriptures that have this principle in them, this idea of what God's called us to do. And it should either shed light or this sheds light on that. The perfection and the mercy, mercy, as God is. Let's take a look at one of them. We're going to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I have lots of colors there. It's not just black and white. Lots of colors are because in this series, there are statements about your identity in Christ, who you are, what God says about you, and also actions. Yellow, what God says about you. Green, actions. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Three different statements. 
God's special possession. Four, that you may, action number one, declare the praises of him. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Declare the praises of God to others. Not just singing songs. Declare the praises of him. Basically, you're praising God before other people about what he's done for you. Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as, another one, foreigners and exiles or foreigners and aliens, to abstain from sinful desires. Another action. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, people that don't walk with God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds that you do and glorify God in the day that he visits us. This is written about you if you've made the choice to follow God. It's not about you if you've not yielded your life to God to walk with him. It's only written to those that are actually have made that decision to follow Christ, to follow God. Let's read it again. Thinking about that. If you've asked God that you want to follow him, you've asked Christ for forgiveness, you've made him the Lord, you've given him control, this is, this is about you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Actually, guys, I've said this before. This is the, 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 the simplest hard thing you'll ever do. That is not rocket science. That doesn't even need much explanation. If you and I, we could take that three-verse section, nine, four, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Yeah, there's four of them there. If you took those four verses and you set your life forward to do that, you could spend the rest of your life seeking to do those things and you'd never exhaust all of that because there's enough in there to keep you going for a long time. Okay? It states who you are what your call, your purpose of God is. It also gives you statements about how to live and how to walk it out, what it's supposed to look like. And then again, let's pick up now in 2 Corinthians, a similar passage, or another one that says some things. Same kind of color, color coordination in here. I don't know if there's any green ones in this one or not. So from now on, we regard, who's the we? The people of God. Those that have given God their, God their it's not leaders, it's not, it's not a select few. This is anyone that names the name of Christ that said, I am a follower of God and I, I'm doing the best that I can to obey him and to walk it out. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's an action. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way from a worldly point of view, we no longer do so. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation. You're a new creation. It's come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God. All what? Everything they just said. This new creation. And not looking at things from a worldly perspective. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only did he reconcile and make you right with him, but he gave, who's, who's, he gave us. Who's us? Is that Paul and the apostles? Is that me and all the pastors throughout the world? 
Or is it the, the pastors and the home group leaders and the deacons and, and the elders? No. This is, again, anyone who is following God and has made him Lord of his life and has yielded to his ways. He has called, he, he, not only did he reconcile us and make us right with him through the death of Jesus, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It means to take that message and give it to other people that they too can be reconciled. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for God. Telling people that God, through Jesus Christ, wants to bring reconciliation to them. It's not left for just the leaders. It's not just for the apostles. It wasn't just for Jesus and not just for pastors or Sunday school teachers. It's for everybody that names the name of Christ. Just comes to my mind. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, oh, you think this is a big deal? Greater things are you going to see happen because I go to the Father. Because the Spirit of the living God was going to dwell in the heart of of every person that committed their life to Christ. And this is the sad part. The enemy tries, not, tries to keep us from walking in what God has called us to do. Because if all people that name the name of Christ were to really embrace the ministry, and it's not a choice. It's again, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He made us ambassadors. The question is, are, what are we doing with that? It's not a choice. You can't say, I didn't sign up for that. If you say, I didn't sign up for that, you're basically saying that I didn't sign up to follow Christ. I didn't follow, sign up to follow God because they are one and the same. With that idea of making Jesus Lord and being right with God means you are an ambassador and have a ministry of reconciliation. And now some things. First one's Jesus, uh, about Jesus in John chapter 1. Yet to all who did receive him, who's that all? Everybody that's accepted Christ. To those who believed in his name, he gave what? The right, and this is great, the right to become children of God. So you're a servant. He's the Lord of your life. But then there's another whole thing he calls us. He gave us the right to be children of God. Those that receive him. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's one, if you've read that, you read it over and over again, and you glaze over and don't think about it, but that's a powerful statement. Do you know what that means? If you have named Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God, and that means not, it's a lot bigger than you think it is, because it says it's not a person born of natural descent. If you really want to know who you really are, it's not what your last name is. It's not the family you were adopted into. Although those are all wonderful things. You, when you name Jesus as Lord and Savior, are a child of God. Not of human decision, not of natural descent, nor a husband's will, but born of God himself. And look at what uh, the Apostle John writes in 1 John. So what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He didn't just make us fit for heaven and get us out of hell, and all that, he went all the way and makes us his own children. And that is what we are, exclamation point. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. This is after Jesus has come, has died, has rose, risen again, and the Holy Spirit has fallen. We're all the way into the same age that we live in now, the church age, and John is saying, and what we will be has not yet been made fully known. There is so much more, not even on this earth, but throughout eternity, there is so much more of what it means to be a child of God and what God is doing and what he's got planned for us that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Even when we walk fully in what God has us for on this earth, we haven't even begun to see the powerful, wonderful, amazing things in store for us. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Isn't it we love that first part. We skip over the last sentence. All who have this hope. Hopefully your hope rose when I said, do you realize what God's got in store for you as his child throughout eternity? Do you? No, you don't. It, we, we don't even think. We get so wrapped up here now, we don't even think about eternity a lot of times. But it says, all who have this hope when we really grab a hold of that hope, the natural response is to purify ourselves just as he is pure. Back to perfection. Back to mercy, like our Father is. Our desire when we get a hold of this thing is, I want to be as much like my Father as I can. You and I are called to be different. We've been talking about that. We've been called to be different. We're called to be like Jesus, to walk, talk, think, act, and speak like him. We're called to be perfect and merciful like God is. When we interact with people, we're to walk in this world lacking nothing because he's given all that we need, to love like he does, to act like he does, to speak like he does. We're called to be different. We live, ready, and this is going to sound very prideful, but it's a fact. I'm not trying to build anybody up other than to tell you the reality of what this is all saying. We're called to be different. We are supposed to live differently than anyone else around us that doesn't know Jesus Christ. That's not walking with God. We should live differently than those that are in the world that don't know God. But, see, but there's some really good people in the world. Remember we went back to the beginning? A good person who's not a follower of God can still do a lot of the minimals in the law. But the things that Jesus said were supposed to be about the heart of law are impossible unless the Spirit of God enables and strengthens make a choice to do so. So we should look differently than anybody else around us that doesn't follow God. We have a heart condition. The condition of our heart is different than anyone else around us that doesn't follow God. There's a drastic difference in the heart condition spiritually speaking, of a person who has made God the Lord of their life and a person that has not done that. What does that heart look like? A person who has come to God and has had the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in their life will recognize their imperfect, sinful state and their need for a Savior. And they carry that with them all the way. I don't think it ends. I think that's one thing that probably never ends even throughout eternity because there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, but I, there, there probably will be the fact that we'll look at Jesus and we'll look upon him and we'll constantly be falling down and worshiping him because he's the one that made all this possible. Why? Because I was wrong. I was sinful. I was a mess. We recognize our imperfect sinful state and our need for a Savior. We recognize 
the high calling to be God's representative in the earth, to live in such a way that they don't see us, but they see Jesus, they see God. We recognize that we're desperately lacking in the ability to live that way and meet the call that God has us, and we recognize and seek the power that comes through the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. So we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize that we have a call that we're supposed to live, and we recognize that we can't do it on our own strength, and we recognize that we've got to have the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And a person who has truly been through the regenerating work of God in their heart will have those things. If a person doesn't have those things, you can really question, have they truly been regenerated? Are they truly walking with God? Because the Scripture doesn't say, and then some will do this. It's talking in all. You say, so why do some people not do that? Because I'm not, and it says, don't judge. It's not my job to judge who is or isn't. But it's saying, for my own life, and this is what I encourage you, don't right now think of somebody else. Don't think of your neighbor, or the other person in church, the other things. You think about you and you alone. Do I recognize those four things? Because those things should leap off the page. I know I'm a wretched sinner. And I needed a Savior. I know that there's a high calling on my life. Not, not to pastor. There's an even higher calling. And that is to be His ambassador. To have the message of reconciliation. The pastoring is merely a platform from which to do it. Just like you all have platforms to do that. And I recognize, and it leaps off the page, that I am desperately lacking in the ability. I, 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 every time I read that thing there, he's given us, committed to us, the message of reconciliation. God, you made a huge mistake. You're telling me, you put it in my, for me, to introduce people to Christ. That's a big deal. Shoot, I have half the time I'm so worried about paying my bills, I totally ignore the person I walk through in the checkout line. You understand what I'm saying there? We, I am desperately lacking. You are as well. And then the other thing. So you know what that does? It drives me to ask God, Oh, Jesus, make me aware. Help me to be in tune with your Spirit as I walk into life this afternoon and tomorrow. That I will see people from... We don't look at people any longer from what? An earthly perspective. We see them from God's perspective. And begging Jesus to allow the Spirit to enable us to, to yield to that thing and to see it and not miss it. We are different, not for what we often think. We often think that we're different because Jesus saved us and it got me out of hell. End of discussion. No, 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 no. You know why you're different? Ah, don't pay attention to that slide. It's the next one. We are different. We are different for, ready? For God's glory and His purposes. You want big picture? You want big picture? We are different as followers of Christ in the world around us for His glory and His purposes. We aren't different just to be different. We are different because we look and act like God does. We look and act like Jesus does. It is true that we are different because of what He's done for us personally, but in good old 21st century America, we're self-centered. And we always look at what God did because of what he did for me. And aren't I lucky? Aren't I great? We would never use that language, but that's the way we walk that out. And God in his word is trying to expand our thinking to saying, you are different 
because you follow after me and that difference has a purpose, not so that you just avoid all the junk of the world and live better and feel better. It's for my glory and for my purposes to fulfill the high call in your life. And that high thing is we live differently because he made us different so that people would be drawn to challenged, encouraged, and able to follow God in their own life. And now we get to this. You and I are able to do this because of the blood and the DNA that runs through our being. I used to have blonde hair. You can read that any way you want to. There's not as much there as there used to be, and now it's probably most of it's gray. nice thing about being blonde-haired, when you turn gray, nobody knows about it. Also, when you're bald, you turn gray, nobody knows. I may be blonde-haired, and I have blue eyes sometimes. Sometimes they're hazel, they're weird. Okay, But I have blonde hair, blue eyes, and I have certain dispositions because of my Widrick and Zer lineage. Unchangeable. Can't change that. There are certain things about me that are there because of my physical DNA and the physical blood that runs through me. I live like I do in a lot of ways because of the environment that I was raised in. My parents, my grandparents, the church community, all that stuff had an impact. Some, most of it really good, probably some of it not so good. And you know what? The same thing is true of you. You have certain characteristics, physical traits. Uh, some of it's genetic, some of it's environmental. And that's usually where we leave it, even as Christians. We don't think too much of it. But, ready? Probably one of the most powerful things I'll share today with you. You and I are born again. Oh, I already know about born again. That's what, that's what Jesus talked about, you know, the guy in, the, in, in, in secret that night. Unless you're born again, then he didn't get it. And, but I know it because I know that Jesus and I'm born again. You and I are born again. Scripture says we're born again. It also says we are a new creation. The Bible says the old has passed, the new has come. You know what he was referring to? I'm Kyle Woodrick. But it's not my blonde hair, my blue eyes, the fact, I should say tall and lanky, not anymore, but my height comes from, doesn't, definitely doesn't come from the Woodrick side, it comes from the Zare side. The blonde hair, blue eye doesn't come from the Widrick side. It comes from the Zare side. But there's other things that came from the Zare side. Stubbornness. Well, no, I'm sure that comes from both sides. Okay? No offense, Mom and Dad. When Jesus says about me, you're a new creation, Kyle, it's not, you're not a Widrick. You're not known by your blonde hair, your blue eyes. The disposition you got from your parents. You're not even... You're not even all the environment, although he uses some of that stuff. You are a new creation. The old stuff that you are because of that, the only thing that's redeemable is anything that was spiritually good. All the other stuff was done away with. You are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And how about this now? Remember all the things we said this morning about the right to be a child of God? God in our life now is no longer God, but Father. And that's a big statement. Because he's our Father. And notice what it said. 
not by human seed, not by a husband's decision, not by all the physical things or a choice. The DNA, you put that in quotations, the DNA of God runs through me and it runs through you if you're a follower of God. The very DNA, genetic material, spiritual genetic material of God himself runs through your being. His seed is in you. And that makes Jesus our brother in a sense. Because I have and you have the seed of God in you. You have his DNA, his nature in you. And that's the same nature and the same DNA that Jesus carried to earth with him when he walked here. We can live like God and we can live like Jesus not because we're so good at anything, but because we yield our lives and because their character and nature of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, dwells within us. And that enables enables us to live like God does and to live like Jesus does. We need regularly, and this isn't just for pastors, this isn't just for Sunday school teachers and leaders or apostles, or traveling whatever, evangelists. No, no, this is for everybody that names the name of Jesus Christ. We need to seek to die to the old self and let our new spiritual neighbor, n- nature enable us to be like God. No more excuses, because the Bible doesn't make excuses for our sinful nature. It actually says to crucify the flesh and live to the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh so to the Spirit. It actually has some pretty strong things to say about those that give themselves passes as Christians and continue to walk according to the flesh. It says things like, theirs is not the kingdom of God. That won't, that won't pack the house out right there. We don't talk about that. But the Scripture actually says things like that. If you remember some of the passages we've had over the last year, remember that when we talked about what? We were saying that, that those long lists of, 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 of sins... There's biggies in there that, yup, yup, I get that one. But then there's other ones like division, dissension, and gossip, and slander, and, and lying, and, and, and it, it, it says, for such is not the kingdom of heaven. You and I need to learn to die to self, to actively die to self on a daily basis. And what do you do? It's not like you're going to die so much to yourself there'll be nothing left of you. The more you die to self, the more it enables the Spirit of the living God, the character and nature of our Father in Heaven to come out so we will walk in perfection, not sinless, but perfection following the purpose and the call and be merciful and love and care and walk and treat people the way God would treat them and get involved in their lives and talk to them and help rescue them and walk out as ambassadors and reconcilers. We need to yield ourselves to that new nature that will enable us to fulfill God's purpose. And it's interesting. I want to drive this home again, going back to our passage. The very language that Jesus used in these two statements. Take a look at them again. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And look at this. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying, what's the big deal? That could have read this. Be perfect because God's perfect. You catch the difference? Think on that for just a second. Be perfect as God is perfect. It doesn't say that. You say, that's not a big deal. It absolutely is. It's trying to get our attention. You be perfect. You be, you be, you be full. You be complete. You walk this thing out as your father does. And the insinuation there, the meaning there is, because 
the nature of your Father, the being of your Father, the Spirit of your Father dwells within you, enabling you, if you'll die to self, to walk that out there. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and say good things about you. Mm-mm. 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 In the same way, back to salt and light, it all is linked together. Hopefully, maybe, maybe I'm just weird. My heart leaps when I see, I mean, I don't preach about salt and light. In the same way, let your light, the light of Jesus Christ, the answers you have, being salt and being different, all that stuff, let that light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. It's okay for them to see your good deeds. Why? They will then praise who? Not God. Praise your Father in heaven. Have you ever had somebody say, you're just like your mom. You're just like your dad. You're just like your brother. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not so good when it's said. Is anybody saying here, you know, you're like your father in heaven. If you and I walk that way, where people didn't see Kyle Woodrick, Diesel Hit, Roy Kasich, Tammy Woodrick, Donna Seavers, fill your name in, they didn't say, I see you. They see, I see your Father in heaven. It would do an amazing thing. It would bring glory, glory to God. There's an old story, I'll close with this and I'm going to pray. It's a man, he'd worked for years and years and years in some factory setting. Godly man. And he walked the talk. He didn't say a lot, but he lived a godly life. The story goes that he was heading down, it was one of the service elevators, like what you'd have in a, in a big, big building that's not like enclosed like in a motel, but they're caged or whatever. And as he was coming down, like there, he can overhear a conversation from some of his coworkers off to the side, and they didn't know he was coming down, and they were talking about him. They were talking about, the first part sounds really great. They said, man, that guy is something else. He is so different. And they weren't saying negatively, he's different, he's kooky. They said, he's different. He lives differently. And I think somebody said something along the lines, recognized that he was different. And then they both agreed, I I could never be that way. And it says the man's heart sunk because he knew he was a godly man. He understood those four things. I'm not that way because of me. I desperately need God's help. And, and I don't know if he took the chance and he didn't say that, but the idea there is we don't want people just to see us as good people. We want us to see good people so they glorify God and it provides opportunity for us to be able to say, you know what, <laughs> he'll do the same thing for you if you yield yourself to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us, your graciousness. We thank you for your love and your, your, your mercy. We thank you for your perfection we thank you for all that's, that's there. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for us, that you came to save wretched people like us. Lord, but not because we're great people, just because you love and you care. And Lord, we thank you that you didn't leave us there, but you have a great purpose and a great call in our lives. 
to be your ambassadors, that ministry of reconciliation, to walk these things out in front of people, to be salt and light. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would all embrace that. Lord, I pray for every person that hears this to recognize that they, the truth of who they are, a new creation, the people of God, a person of God, a son, a daughter, a new creation, old is gone, new is there. Lord, I pray that they would, we'd all catch that, a royal priesthood, that we're ambassadors for you. Lord, I pray that we would openly embrace that and agree with the truth in that. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get past our feelings of inadequacy. Lord, I pray that our feelings of inadequacy would do one thing and one thing only, and that's to drive us to our knees to ask for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk these things out. And Lord, help us to recognize that we're your children and your character and your nature and your spirit dwells within us and to spend enough time meditating on what it means to be a child of the King and all that goes in there. And Lord, help us to take seriously that wherever we go, regardless of how we embrace this, we do represent you if we name you as Lord and Savior. We are your child, and people look at us and make decisions about you. Lord, I pray that we would be so much like you that they would be drawn to you and want to walk with you and give us the right ways to explain that. Lord, we realize that we have nothing outside of the power of your Spirit. I pray that that power, that life-giving, earth-shattering, life-changing Spirit of God would dwell within us richly as it does, but it would overflow and flow out of us, and we'd yield to that. In Jesus' name, amen.